Now, welcome to the Embark Minipod, brought to you by Embark Group, as we take a snapshot look at some of the finer topics from across the industry. Today, we're taking another look at some of the findings from our latest investor confidence barometer. Specifically today, M&A and consolidation in the advisor industry. Very interesting topic and one I think that's uh, very much uh, being talked about right now. And joining me to speak about that today is Jonathan Sandell, who's Embark Group Head of Propositions. Jonathan, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. I suppose, uh, well, the obvious point coming out from the survey is a lot of factors are now pushing towards, uh, well, I suppose we call a need for scale, really, uh, driving towards, uh, I suppose, some kind of M&A in many areas. So, do you want to just walk me through some of the factors that we're talking about here? Yeah, of course, Roger. Um, so I think really there are a number of different things that, that drive these um, these changes that we're seeing in the advisor market. And certainly some of those will, will vary very much based on the starting point of advisor firms. Uh, so what we have seen, I think, in, in the recent past is um, a greater need really for smaller firms that find the cost uh, and the pressures of regula regulation and regulatory change uh, and the need to ensure that they've got the right systems in place becoming uh, quite onerous really in terms of running a profitable business. And by smaller firms, we often mean you know, firms of uh, you know, five advisors or less um in, in the industry conversely you know what we what we do see and, and actually this was picked up uh, and has been picked up in in a number of different surveys that the regulators run over the years i think most recently uh you know when they looked at this about three or four years ago there's that there's, there is a little bit of a sweet spot i think in that advisory market where kind of mid-sized firms of, of advisors of between say six and 50 advisors are actually quite profitable um uh, you know they've obviously managed to get a good positioning between the costs of running business and the ability to have a personal uh, relationship with customers and that kind of repeat relationship and ongoing um, uh, ongoing relationship with uh, with those end consumers over many years um, which which drives you know, that that kind of uh, yeah. much more effective business model but what we do see and what we've seen coming through in the themes of the questionnaire that we've asked uh, of, of advisors is where those smaller firms uh, you know, most recently have been considering what they're uh, trying to do and how they manage their uh, manage their businesses going forwards is you know that ongoing cost of regulation is becoming much more uh, of a burden for them uh, and becomes you know becoming quite difficult I think to to continue to run a business efficiently. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, obviously, there's tighter financial conditions as well, falling asset values. I mean, it's it's a list that that you can see pushing in one direction. But I'm interested. You you talk about that need for that personal relationship which is at the heart of a lot of what advisors do. And there is that kind of sweet spot, as you say. So, I mean, small firms under pressure grow, really, achieve critical mass or sell. Um, and I guess all this moves towards a kind of uh, horizontal integration in, in some ways. Is that the way forward for some of these uh, these firms? I think it could be. I mean, integration, I think, works across a, um, a, a range of different um uh, dimensions. In, in the first instance, I think it is uh, for advisory firms to keep close to their customers, to know their customers really well, to be able to help them uh, develop good financial plans and to keep those plans on track. And that doesn't change. So that you know that uh, really close relationship with customers um, you know, is is something that will continue to. I think be paramount for advisory businesses and that doesn't come from big corporates you know that's where you lose that kind of you know end customer relationship 
Um, so although you know there is somewhat of a drive for, for scale, it does come uh, with a, a balance uh, between keeping that um, both proximity to a customer, but also being able to uh, manage the, the pressures of running a business efficiently. Um, so you, you know if, if we're looking at um, I think uh, some of the changes that, that we are uh, expecting to happen over the next uh, year or so, in particular, I think with the implementation of consumer duty, um, it's going to be something that's going to really help customers um, you know, demonstrate that they're getting good outcomes and such like. But uh, being as, a, as an advisory firm, being able to comply with that and demonstrate that um, compliance, you know, that's something that's going to cost money to implement those processes to make sure the data is there and the data is available to be shared both you know back the way with providers but also with the regulator uh, so having that um, kind of systematized i think with you know within a a network or um, a slightly larger firm i think will be something that um, you know, is, is much easier for advisors to run their business and so that's going to be a big driver i think for yeah i mean it's very uh, interesting in the survey i mean in the survey, that it was the vices with the fewest assets that were most likely to agree with the idea that that, that joining a network was the way forward. So they, they clearly know what they're about in that sense. Yeah, I think that I think that's true. Actually, um, you know, it, it does come back to the to your, your start point. And if um, if actually uh, you're already under a little bit of pressure, given. Um, you know the, the kind of the, the the relatively slim margins that, that are available i think in, in terms of running assets then that is going to drive that behavior to to look for um you know, whether it's a kind of regulatory um uh, model that you you can benefit from by being part of a network or um you know, slightly uh, stronger buying power in terms of being able to negotiate a, a better um model um in you know in terms of working with whether it's platform groups or other providers i think all of these things you know do encourage advisory firms to want to work uh, as part of a, a network where they're you know quite small uh, from from a start starting position now we're obviously we're talking about advice from the advisor end really you touched on i suppose the uh, need for, uh, for for consumers for investors to to be considered in all this with that idea about the sort of personal relationship thing but overall do you think M&A do, do you think the, the, the scaling up of the industry is actually a good thing for consumers? I think it's got the potential to be a good thing for advisors um, if, I think you know, what it does do is it creates a better framework and a more um, you know almost this might sound strange but a slightly more standardized model within which you can develop um, a financial assessment of a customer's needs and turn that into a sensible plan uh, and so by having that I think that does ensure that you have a, almost a good checklist as you go through that advice process um, and that ongoing advice framework you know ought to then put um, advisory firms in a both the position of delivering good customer outcomes, but also being able to evidence that, right? And that's really important. Um, there's, uh, you know, a really uh, important point here that when we set up a financial plan, those financial plans are intended to run for many, many years. And so to be able to check that over time, and certainly, you know, after 10, 20, or, or even 30 years, to ensure that the original advice was still fit for purpose, I think it is important to have that strong framework in place and to remind customers why they set themselves up within a certain plan and why that was the right recommendation. Uh, because of course, you know, we all have memory fade and a little bit of drift uh, and such like. So, you know, coming back to that original, here were the statements that um, ensured 
we were all really clear on what the needs were and then how we're going to meet those and then to be able to manage that plan on an ongoing basis. I think it, you know, it is important to have that in place and that is easier to do for a larger organisation that's put those systems in place already. Yeah, and I guess consumers will obviously also benefit from the, the whole consumer duty uh, process and compliance, which, as we said, costs money. So the fact that that's enhanced by, by M&A in and of itself um, makes things better for consumers. Yeah, agreed. I'd, I'd really agree with that. You know, we've been on a, a long direction of travel uh, for, for many years now, and consumer duty, I think, is is the latest that helps drive that better um, almost efficiency in that process uh, and brings thing to, things together so that manufacturers are working effectively and platforms are working effectively with advisors to demonstrate that we've you know we've all delivered uh, you know a much better outcome for customers what about the 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 business strategy end of all this because you know, we said that there is a need for scale in it from what the survey suggests there is a bit of an appetite. I mean, it was interested that, that, that uh, the most popular strategy amongst advisors was to grow organically, 42%, but growth by acquisition was supported by 37%. So th- there's clearly an appetite to move in this direction, isn't there? Yeah, I think there is. I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, when we look at those answers, they're not mutually exclusive, right? So, um, you know, we'd all like to do a little bit of organic growth. We might actually try and accelerate that through acquisition and we might be opportunistic about that if something comes along and it looks about right and fits with our kind of culture and, you know, the sorts of things, then you you kind of would always have to ask the question, why not? Uh, So in that instance, I think it's not surprising, but actually what it does demonstrate, I, I think, in terms of, you know, how advisors have answered that is that they're prepared to recognize that actually by being a little bit better, bit bigger and by, um, aggregating that whether that's through organic growth or actually accelerating that through acquisition that's going to help you uh, and that's going to help the commercial outcome of, of the business you know to bring in some new advisors it's always been an industry where it's difficult to recruit new people in to become advisors and uh, and so being able to grow your business by bringing in a few more advisors who are already qualified and got a bit of a client base that's a good thing and actually what you can then do is um, you know improve the overall efficiency of the business bringing in the best of both kind of thing another thing that caught my eye in all this was the suggestion we were talking obviously about the effect for consumers and whether consumers benefit from all this but one area which we've spoken about a lot on the embark pod before is is the issue to do with the advice gap the, the people who aren't getting advice essentially and that actually scaling up makes that a more uh, more likely thing to do and a, and a better thing to do is technology robo advice model portfolios uh, alongside centralized compliance costs there's lots of ways in which that can help with the gap yeah, I think it could. Um, so there are a number of different things that I think will, will help with that. And let's be clear, there's only, you know, what it, what is it, something like 27,000 advisors in the UK. That's to serve 40, 45 million um, UK adults. That clearly is not enough advisors to go around. And um, it's very definite. And I would stand behind the statement that customers will always get a better outcome if they go through an holistic advice process to build a plan and then to stick with that plan, right? But that's not going to uh, happen. It, you know, it's simply not feasible just with the uh, the number of advisors we have in the UK market. So what what I think um, you know could uh, could be a real positive here is that um, as firms get a little bit bigger, they get a little bit more able to deploy technology, um, to leverage technology from providers, and to to use that in ways that could help support 
customers who would otherwise not be able to be served by a face-to-face -face advisor for an ongoing basis. And that might be through um, you know, taking a kind of a, a digital advice uh, process for um, the children of you know your, your existing clients uh, where you can help them set up their um, ISA subscription each year or to you know, manage that on an ongoing basis or once a plan's in place to be able to understand how that plan's developing and uh, make some small changes and then to come in for an ongoing advice review it just makes that process that little bit more efficient uh, and I think technology is definitely uh, supporting that direction of travel. I don't think it's something that we've seen just yet, but we do expect that that will accelerate pretty qu quickly, um, as uh, you know, as, as some uh, some of the kind of the new um, uh, new propositions out there become a little bit more mainstream. Uh, but I think there's a long way to go. It's a really exciting area, actually. Yeah. Now, and, and the other thing I wanted to mention as well was we talked earlier about horizontal integration as being one of the ways forward, perhaps, for smaller firms. What about vertical integration? Um, because you know, the idea of white labeling platform services uh, uh, going directly as a platform service provide, I mean, lots of ways in which this this could work in a vertical sense. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, I think probably uh, ought to be a little bit cautious there. Um, it's, it's always interesting that um, firms do integrate uh, versus, you know, an, an industry where it's actually quite separate between, say, fund management groups, platform providers and end advisory services. Sometimes they work quite well when they come together, but I, I think um, that can be a challenge in, in the longer run. And, you know, we see uh, movements, uh, I think, you know, sometimes to encourage that vertical integration and actually sometimes to, to separate out. What I would say is um, running an advisory business is very different from running a platform business. The regulatory requirements are different um, and um, you know, therefore being able to be a platform service provider, um, while it might sound attractive at face value in terms of being able to take an additional um, income from uh, the proposition that the customer has that clearly comes with a set of regulatory obligations and it comes with a, an operating uh, set of costs that you know you can't just run away from you have to incorporate that into the you know that overall proposition so i think there are different ways to to support that vertical integration that doesn't have to be i'm an advisor and i want to now be a platform provider and so i'm going to uh, take a platform and you know badge that as my own and i'll you run all the technology and the client money requirements it could be that actually i'm just going to white label some of that so i'm going to let the company that really knows how to run platform services do all of the tech do all of the operate model and run the regulatory requirements but actually from my end customer perspective um, i will work with that platform provider and i can configure that in a way that allows me to turn it into a pro proposition that is really fit for my target customer needs and my existing customers and then uh, actually i can take that up to market so i think it's there are slightly different ways of doing vertical integration there are actually better uh, both commercially but primarily better for for end customer outcomes you know let the people who know how to do the different bits properly get on with yeah. those bits and run them effectively you know, that's usually the wisest policy isn't it in these circumstances yeah uh, Jonathan exactly. just as we as we bring this conversation to an end I mean I, I just get want to get your sort of five to ten year prospect in terms of the industry as a whole do you see consolidation as being much more of a theme are we going to see a much more consolidated advisor industry do you think 
I, I mean, I would like to see a bigger advisory industry. I do, I, I do think that customers get much better outcomes as a consequence of going through face to face holistic advice or primarily human. But I do think that that will be encouraged by improvements in technology. It will be increasingly kind of digitalized, as, as people like to say. But actually what that means is that that will support customers by aggregating the data that they would otherwise have to find out themselves, uh, putting that into a position where an advisor can help them review that and understand it and then assess suitability if, if effectively. Now, I think that technology, the improvement in efficiency and operating costs will encourage um, consolidation. And I do think, you know, you will get some really large firms actually, but I also think that you'll get within that mid-sized sector where customers uh, can still have a really personal relationship with their advisor and the advisory firm uh, will continue to be a really strong portion of uh, you know that kind of advisory market that will continue and be supported by that technology so um you know yes we'll get consolidation yes we'll get some larger firms but i think we'll get a number of kind of mid-sized firms um that actually are much more efficient and delivering better customer uh, better customer um, outcomes yeah, no, it's interesting. You mentioned that personal relationship thing, which does seem to be at the core, really, of effective uh, advisor working. Thank you so much for that, Jonathan. That is it from this Embark mini pod. My thanks to Jonathan Sandell, Embark Group Head of Propositions, for joining us. And I'll be back with more mini pods. I'm Roger Hearing for now. Thanks for listening and goodbye.